as we, we're closing in on Advent, and there's something about this that is making me sad because I don't want it to come and go that fast. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I've been playing Christmas songs since November. What's your point? Uh, I, I, I love the lights. I love the songs. I love the gifts. I love having the kids and playing with the grands. I love waving as they drive away. I love... Um, uh, Full of sugar and not our problem. Um, but as, as it comes, uh, as this Advent comes, we've been walking through Old Holy Night. Let's look at the last verse of this. I won't sing it to you. That's my Christmas gift to you. <laughs> Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. When I think of them, as we did around the table, that provision of God could have brought up so much more about that North African community. They produced the version of the Bible that was Paul's favorite the Septuagint. They preserved it. It was in North Africa that the Coptic church, which is one of the oldest Christian faiths out there, it's arguably the oldest, but I'm not going to argue, it preserved the scripture so that Count Tichendorf and others could find it later because they had it. They protected it. And that's what led to our modern translations where we could read the words of God. God's all over our story. And yet, we're not always cooperating with that story. We've had 2,000 years of Christianity. And I think we can agree that some of those years are better than others. Some of those years, we allowed Christianity to, to really change us. And other times, we had the Crusades. We had the Inquisitions. We had destructions of churches in the name of God and destructions of icons in the name of God. And we had wars in the name of God, none of which we were authorized to do by God. And yet, we did. And we were talking about borders and such. A lot of what's going on in the Middle East isn't the Middle East's fault. It was British, well, English, not the Scots. We were really good but, but British governments, American governments, French governments arbitrarily drawing lines on maps saying, this is your country, that's your country, without talking to the people. And they did it all thinking that God was guiding them, but no, he didn't, ask, he didn't give you that authority. He told you to love one another. And love, loving one another is as radical an idea in 2018 as it was in, in 0 BC. You know, it's, it's still radical. Every day it's a radical idea to respond in love. Giving lip service to love is easy. We do it all the time. One of my favorite theologians was portrayed in the Peanuts comic strip. His name is Linus. Those of you that are young and did not grow up on Charles Schultz's bits of wisdom and gentle humor have, um, have my sympathies because it was just massively amazing. 
But Linus, the great theologian, once said, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right there with you, Linus. Don't want to be, but sometimes I find myself there. I love mankind. I wish the people would get out of my way. Sounds like maybe some of you are there with me as well. But Jesus went out of his way to show us that this love thing was serious. He sought out the Samaritan woman. He adopted, and I'm using that word on purpose, the woman with the issue of blood when he was on the way to heal the daughter of an important official. All these borders being crossed constantly. The reason I call it, say it adopted was because when he spoke to her, he called her daughter. The only time he ever called anyone daughter in scripture. We don't know what he said that wasn't written down, but in scripture, he adopts her. He meets at the table. Remember this. If you're not a, 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 a reg, I was about to say normal member here, but how do we define that? You know, um, <laughs> obviously I've lowered the bar. So um, anyway, if, you're, if you don't attend here as a rule, how's that? You might have missed our, our walk through Luke where we showed that in the, in the gospel of Luke, it's all about the table because in his day, the first century, you are who you eat with. And this was so important that churches fought nearly split over it. The book of Romans and the book of 1 Corinthians has to go into great detail about what you eat and with whom to show you that you've got to, you've got to welcome people to your table. Jesus ate with prostitutes and with religious zealots. He ate with the unacceptable and he ate with those that refused to accept them. Why? Modeling love. He showed us, and this is radical to me, that we do not have a duty to disapprove. We seem to feel that God wants us to be judgmental and disapproving. Now, you don't have this in America, and uh, arguably, that's a good thing. I don't really know. I, um, you, could, you could go either way. But in Breton, uh, for the longest time, maybe they still do, they had... Um, these road shows for politicians. They would go into these hamlets, villages, towns, or cities, and those are all strictly defined for British law and tradition, and they would have a, a panel, and Sir Robin Day would be in the middle. He's, he's gone on to, to, to see Jesus now, but Sir Robin would be in the middle, and over here you'd have Labour, and over here you'd have the Tories or the Conservatives. So listen, left and right. And then you'd have some of the other parties that, you know, like the Liberal Democrats, or we weren't really sure where they fit on the, they kind of crossed them, but they were all there as well. And I, I brought it up to my wife. I said, just, just watch this. No matter what this one says, this one has to disapprove, even if this is a good idea. And I, I, I talked to the teens at the time, and I said, if one of, them, if one of the questions, because they took questions from the audience, from the average people on the street, and I said, if one of them said, what do you think about kitten juggling? And this one over here goes, I'm, I'm right opposed to kitten juggling. That's just an atrocity to jugglers and kittens, you know, worldwide. And over here, the other person would feel the need to go, hang on, hang on, hang on. Some of them kittens need juggled. It's just always the need to disapprove. Always the need to draw a line. 
This duty to disapprove is a hard nut to crack. We know that God is holy. And we know that God has called us to be holy. We just misunderstand what that means. It means not perfection and precision obedience. That's not holiness. Holiness is patience, love, consideration, grace, and a lack of that whole judgmental thing. This is hard. It's hard for us. We like to draw lines. We are tribal people. We have our clans, and by that, that's with a C, not the K thing. I always have to remember where I live now that uh, there are differences. Um, clan is a Scottish word, clanad, which means the children. And so we have our people over here, and there are people do it this way, and, and we divide. If we can't divide by families, we divide by rivers. We're on this side, you're on that side. Or football. Now, I'm... I'm aware football is a very important thing here. High school football is a very, very important thing. Um, I, I never played it. I never played it. Uh, none of my people ever played it. Uh, and, and so I, I like to watch football, but I don't get the passion sometimes. And when I, uh, I've been in Alabama, I've been in Texas, where it's the major religion. And I'm trying to be interested. But the rivalries... Most people do it in a fun way. Most people just have fun with it. But there are people that you're going, that's a bit far. Let's pull back a bit. We tribalize over politics. We tribalize over accents, over anything. We tribalize. We tri even tribalize over weight and over gender. I've seen, seen way too much of that. But the fact is, our culture and our media teach us to demonize anybody who disagrees with us. That it's not their idea that's wrong, they are wrong. It's not that what they believe is inaccurate, it is that they are evil. And they push this at us all the time. But Jesus stepped across every gap laid in front of him and says, follow me. He refused to allow any of the world to box him in. One time somebody said, Patrick, you're always thinking out of the box. And I said, God never supplied me with one. Because God won't stay in one. And he says, follow me. If you're in a box, you're not moving. And God moves. God moves and says, walk. So we walk. This love is not a sitting in your chair. Wish it was, because sitting in my chair is my spiritual gift. I am so good at it. I know that some of you are thinking, oh, I always have to be busy. Let me teach you. Come to me, children. But love is not a call to sit in our chairs and love people in theory. It is an active, living, giving, and here's the hard word, sacrificial love. And it is his law. And as such, it's God's law. The Old Testament was full of laws, 611, 613, according to who's counting and how. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he didn't hesitate. This is what he said. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm, I'm going to just stop for a second. That all thing's pretty serious, isn't it? You know, that, it, that, that's rather all encompassing. I don't have another word. It encompasses everything. And with all your soul, that's your, your life, with all your mind, 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow. Wow. Now, think about this for a little bit. When I was a boy, they would do joy. And they would say, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Jesus never said that. He said, love others as yourself. He's not asking you not to love yourself. And you might say, well, I don't love myself. Now, you know, I hear that a lot when I go through Ephesians. With the, and the Bible tells men to love their wives as themselves. And even goes further to say, no man ever hated his own body. And I'll, I'll run across men that'll go, well, I don't love myself. I don't love my body. But you still feed it what it wants. And you take it nice places. And you buy it stuff. Love others as you love yourself. That sharing, living, giving is to always be there. Have you ever wondered why he asked, which is the greatest command? I actually don't wonder that at all. Because I grew up thinking, I can't do all of this. Cut it down. What can I do with this? I need this, I need it stripped down. I, I, this is maybe scientific background. I'm, I'm always looking for the irreducible minimum. I've, I have sat and tried to appreciate things, for example, like jazz. But I keep thinking, get a tune. I need a melody. Resolve, let's all high five and go home. I'm not sure what I'm hearing here. Now, by the way, if you love jazz, I'm not knocking jazz. I'm saying I don't get it. There's a big difference there. It's kind of like opera. I don't get that either. You know, um, there are a lot of people yelling at each other in a foreign language, but go for it if you enjoy that sort of thing. My ignorance is there. I want it stripped down. What do I need to know? It's rather like when somebody starts giving you directions. They're going, th go to the third light, go this way, then go this way. And you're going to see a red barn and go over here. Point. Just point. I'll ask somebody else out there somewhere. If I see a sign that says Bienvenue au Canada, I know I've gone too far. I'll ask. I'll check. The answer is, however, we always ask what's the most important because we are looking for that essential, the irreducible minimum. And I, and I think that's because we have been taught that we have to have precision, obedience, or God. God's not sold on us anyway, according to what we've been taught, and he's looking for a way to fail us. Now, that's blasphemy, by the way. God loves you so much, he sent his son, so why would he then be trying to find a way not to save you? For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not willing. That gives me a great amount of comfort. Oh, Nadab and Abihu were trotted out with great regularity when I was a boy. If you're not a, a Bible person, you might not know much about that. The Bible talks about they were, they were priests and they brought strange fire before the Lord and God just struck them down with fire and burned them up. And we're all going, ooh. And everything was strange fire. Somebody brought an instrument, strange fire. Somebody clapped, strange fire. Somebody called the minister a pastor, strange fire. We're all going to die now. But that ignores quite a lot of things. God didn't say he needed every nut and bolt done exactly right or we were lost. In fact, in that chapter, when Nadab and Abihu die, other people did the same thing, were given a chance to repent and be okay. Why? Because Nadab and Abihu were bad people with a very long record of being bad people. It wasn't the one thing. It was their life that took them there. But I remember as a boy hearing these stories, and that was a hard sell to convince me that the word gospel meant good news. 
when everything seemed rigged to trip us up. But Jesus didn't teach that. He touched the unclean because they needed to be touched. Love required it. And he allowed others to touch him because they needed to touch someone. My father, hard man that he was, frustrated me one time, well, many, but this one particular time. I think it was a Thanksgiving, and I, I don't even know where we were, but I do know that there was a young airman that had just graduated, and uh, not, you don't graduate, you graduate from boot camp, right? Regardless, he got out the other end, and he was now new, and he, he wasn't around his family, Air Force guy, and so uh, he was invited to the, there was a family hosting us, and so we were there, and they invited him. Well, this young airman sat there with a piece of, asked for paper and pen, and talked to my dad, explaining for what seemed to me to be an hour, but I'm just a kid, so who knows, how airplanes fly. My father just kept nodding and that's it, and asking quite. My father was a pilot. When the man was gone, I walked up to my dad and I said, wait, why didn't you tell him? And he said he needed to tell somebody what he knew. He had, he had something he'd learned, he needed to share it. So a hard man that he was, he showed me some things that I still carry with me. Sometimes people just need to share. And you don't need to say, I already know that. You listen. Why? Because Jesus did. Remember he said he wants us to, to pray even though God already knows what we need. He says ask. Because he wants us to talk. He wants to engage. Jesus placed himself in very uncomfortable places. I think we could start there with the womb. Really? You're God. You're omnipresent. You're going to go to a womb? That's rather restrictive. And then a manger? None of these are comfortable. But why? Why would he put himself there? Because we needed to meet him there. We couldn't meet him in all of his glory. You can't approach that. That's too dangerous. It's too vast. We have no road. So he created a road. To the point where, do you remember when Jacob was running from Esau and he was so tired he laid down and there, there was a, he used a stone for his pillow and he dreamed of this stairway that was going up into heaven and angels were going back and forth upon it? Jesus would later look at Nicodemus and say, I tell you the truth, one of these days you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on me. What Jacob didn't know was Jesus was the stairway. Jesus was the path. He'd already laid it. It was already there when we needed it. Just like Jesus and Joseph and Mary getting the funds and having a place. It's laid out for us. And he loves us. David wasn't supposed to touch the altar or any of the food on the altar. But when he ate the showbread, Jesus said, that's fine. He was hungry. That's the God you want. But most people don't know that's God. They, they don't know the difference between God and Thor. Except maybe the hair. I don't, I don't know. They think God's up there, ah, just angry. No, no. This is God. Look at Jesus. Love trumps law in Jesus' teaching. 
Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The rules are there to help you. When they don't, God knows that. And grace and love covers it. This is good news. This is gospel. Truly he taught us, as the song said, to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. The gaps between us as human beings were of great concern to Jesus. But rather than requiring us to place more gaps with a duty to disapprove, he opened up his arms to us. He said, follow me. You do this too. The line, change shall he break for the slave is our brother, is a very poignant, powerful line. For it was written by a Frenchman in the mid-1800s, and the world was about to deal with the sin of slavery. Some did so. For example, Breton, France, Brazil. By law alone, they just passed the law, we're done. It's not happening anymore, starting with ending the slave trade and then with ending slavery. And they were able to do that for reasons that I don't really get, and I've read a lot of different opposing views on it. In America, they just couldn't do it the law way, and hundreds of thousands of people died in a war to settle the issue. And in some hearts, sadly, it's still not settled. Jim Crow and segregation came roaring back in after Woodrow Wilson, when he became president, resegregated the army, kicked all African Americans out of top jobs in the government and in society. He made it to the point where heroes of World War I came home, officers, decorated, unable to use the restroom because of the color of their skin, and you know God seethed at such hatred. And it wasn't just Wilson. I don't want to pick on one guy. Culture did that. Left and right and center. It did that. And Jesus says, no. The slave is our brother. And one of the very few books in the Bible written to an individual, not a group, Philemon, tiny little book. Paul told a man that the runaway slave he was seeking was now his brother in Christ and he was to receive him as a brother in Christ. And that was a radical kick to the gut of society and culture of the day. Don't be afraid to kick every now and then whenever you're kicking away hatred to welcome and love. And in his name, all oppression will cease. Do you realize how countercultural this is? I've told my father many times because he was born in abject poverty and tough, hard man that he was, that's probably what it required to pull him out of poverty, be the first one to go to university, first one, and, and when he went to university, his shoes were falling apart. He used rubber jar lids to hold his shoes together and rubber bands as he went to school on his own, fought his own way through. And I've often sat beside him and said, Dad, you're, you are a hard man but I'm glad you were born first. Because if I'd been born first, you would have still been born in poverty. I would have been sitting there, sitting, being my gift, saying, this is very pleasant. 
he worked and worked and put us in a better place. We, we need to acknowledge we are where we are because of the mistakes and the, wise, the wisdom of those before us. We, um, we need to pull back some and say, what should we do to end oppression? Where is oppression? Politics has still, has always done this. We use dictators we like to help us fight against dictators we don't. Oh my goodness. Jesus wants all oppression to cease, not just the kind we don't like. He wants it all gone. Christians can mistake sometimes making a whole bunch of laws for obeying Jesus. It's not the same thing. I've heard people say you can't legislate morality, and I'm not sure that's exactly correct, because you can certainly legislate behavior. But is that what Jesus called us to do? Or did he call us to love one another? Sacrificial, use yourself up, everything you own, love one another. Prohibition tends to fail. Love does not. That's why our love, our law rather, is expressed in love. Our love is not expressed in law. There's a, it's, it's really weird. It's hard. It really is. If my neighbor does something that I don't like, I want there to be a law against him and a SWAT team to kick in his door. I'm lying. I'm exaggerating. I'm exaggerating. I would never do that. But you know that tendency, don't you? No, we, have to, we have to learn to say, you know something? I want you to think of the person that you, that you like least on the planet, whether you've met them or not. Now, don't point if they happen to be here. What you think of them? Now, got them in your head? Jesus loves them as much as he loves you. And he hung on the cross as long for them as he did for you. And he wants to live eternally with them as much as he wants to live eternally with you. Lay it down. Lay the weapon down. When we go to Jesus, we're going to be judged, Matthew 25, on did you love each other? And give what you had to each other. Remember this. And when you think of somebody as somehow not acceptable. Remember this. When Jesus came to us, the world was in a very, very dark place. Far darker than we're in right now. Paul repeatedly tells the Romans in the book of Romans that when they were saved, they were horrible sinners. And he says, you know something? He doesn't require perfection now but walk toward Jesus. They've been told, they, he saved you when you are horrible sinners, but now if you sin, you'll be lost. He's going, no, no. His grace will walk with you. Let's walk with each other. Let's forgive one another. Let's love one another. Jesus does not wait. I want you to remember this about Advent. He does not wait to accept us until we are acceptable. He accepts us. Real quick, but I don't have to go all that quick because there aren't Bible classes, so you're basically stuck here. All right? People feeling back, oh no, I knew it. Um, we'll get you through this. I want to talk to you about baboons and chimpanzees because I know that's really what you came for because that's what you think of the, the Christmas baboon. Baboons are in troops. Um, and uh, I'll just stick with them, just stick with one primate group, shall we? When a male grows up in that group, he has two choices, to beat the top male 
and become dominant or leave. And the group will force him out, especially when they get to the adolescent stage. Because there's one, one male, it, all happen, it happens to all of them, but in different times, here's a male that nobody else will groom. And you've all seen him sit there just kind of eating a little ice off it. Nobody will groom him. Nobody will take care of him. They force him out. And here's this ratty, stinky, ungroomed adolescent baboon sitting over there. And the only chance he has of survival is if from another troop, a female adolescent takes mercy on him and leaves her troop to come over and groom him and they can start their own troop. That's pretty cool because that's what happened to Cammy and I. I was this ungroomed little lice-ridden guy sitting over there going, right, well, I'll be on my own the rest of my life. And suddenly she shows up and I go, well, this can't last. She's, she's going you know, to you know, get her eyes fixed or something and go, oh, dear, what have I done? Love crosses borders. Love refuses to acknowledge gaps, even the gap, oh, my goodness, between God and man. So he comes to us as a child. Do you remember Proverbs 6? Mark, you want to bring your group up? I'm, and I'm, I'm in the group. I get to play with the cool kids. They don't actually mic my guitar. But still, uh, I, get to, I get to be here. I'm going to step here because I know they've got to move that. And there's a chord. And Albert's going to pray. Uh, are you going to pray before the song? Before the song. Okay. That's all right. I like Albert. He and I are friends. He wore a red tie too. See? There we go. Although I have Santa on mine. So, so that's right. Yeah. Zip that back up. He's always telling me to zip it. Anyway, um, Proverbs 6. List of things God hates. Number one, haughty look. Why? Because it'd be hard to find anything more ungodly than a haughty look that looks at somebody else as less valuable or meaningful than you. God hates that. We have to drop the haughty look. Back in the day, aging myself here, Saturday Night Live had Dana Carvey and the church lady. Don't do that. And all the preachers that love to scream and point fingers, don't do that. We should thank God that God didn't do that. He didn't come to us pointing fingers. He came as a child, the most non-threatening way to approach us. So let all within us, as the song says, praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim.